Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually and then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hey there, welcome to session 197 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an awesome start to your day. So today's podcast topic is one that we don't often talk about as clinicians, But I feel like it's just such an important topic, which is how do we survive the day-to-day of private practice? And more specifically, I'm thinking sort of on two levels, right? Both as a clinician and as a business owner, you know, one of the challenges of social media and even, you know, even Facebook groups, like even in our Selling the Couch community, is that a lot of times there can be an emphasis on what clinicians are doing well and the successes they've had, which I'm like so happy and and grateful for. But the other side of that is sometimes it can make it difficult for clinicians to talk about what they're struggling with and how you know, for example, several days of not of having no shows or not being able to get that first client or having an influx of clients and then not having clients at all. The struggle to start a private pay practice and to sustain it and the loneliness that we feel as business owners, all of these different things. And I wanted to talk and create this episode to talk and have a real conversation about those. My guest today is Chris Griffin. Chris is a licensed professional counselor. His website is over at griffincounselingct.com. He started as a solo practitioner and has now grown into a group practice. And as I record this, they now have five clinicians in the group private practice serving the greater Hartford, Connecticut area. And uh, Chris and I are just having an honest conversation about this uh, day-to-day grind of private practice. And so we're going to talk about a couple of different things. The first thing is we're going to talk about the ebbs and flows of private practice, right? And more specifically, the emotional ebbs and flows and how do we learn to stay in the middle. And then we're going to talk a lot about some of the things Chris does in order to kind of stay in the middle and stay hyper-focused so that he doesn't get too low with the lows and too high with the highs. And we're going to wrap up by talking about some of the self-care things that Chris does. Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, This is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and, I call him Dave, Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest, and honestly, Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know. And with sponsors, you guys know I'm, I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share uh, the STC audience with, and Dave 
when uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people. I just, I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner, uh, specifically for therapists. And his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told, it impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement and investing and all of those things. And Dave understands that, and he comes from just a very heart-centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, It's absolutely free to download, and it's called The Seven Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And that guide has a lot of the things that that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Chris Griffin from GriffinCounselingCT.com. Hey, Chris, welcome to Selling the Couch. Thanks, Melvin. I'm really excited to be here. I'm honored and humbled to be with you today. I'm so grateful for you because I feel like you are someone, I mean, you started as a small practice and then we were just talking about this right before we started recording, but you just hired your fifth clinician. And so you've been busy launching a group practice and navigating that whole world. And I felt like this topic of you know just surviving the day-to-day of private practice is something I felt like you've lived for years and I am just grateful for this conversation. It's great. I mean, I feel like, you know, what you're saying there is also I'm I'm surviving, mm. but I'm beginning to thrive a little bit too. I'm starting to learn that piece too. So, again, I think this is a helpful conversation for your listeners, definitely. I love the way I, you actually distinguish that. And so, you know, between surviving versus thriving, for you, realistically, how long was that sort of survival period? Because I feel like we don't really talk about this in private practice, right? Especially in a lot of these like social media groups, right? A lot of times we focus on, you know, this is what I did. Like I had X amount of clients, but we don't, you know, talk about that day-to-day grind. I feel like as far as my solo practice went, that the learning curve was steep. And so the survival was shorter amount of time. Plus, it was all dependent pretty much on me. So the survival period of that seemed shorter than I still feel like running a small group practice along with my own solo practice. There are days definitely when it is still survival mode. Uh, not every day, which is good. Right. In the past, has it, was it every day? Getting started, it was. It was. There was just so much, even from solo practice to group practice, there was a lot of learning involved. And then, you know, anytime you bring in the mix of other people, it kind of changes the whole dynamic. So I feel like I'm emerging from that experience of surviving the day to day. Now I just have to survive a day here and a day there. <laughs> and I don't know if that will ever change, but. At this point, I feel like I've got a good sense of what I need to do week to week to make sure that I'm not just surviving. Right. Yeah. I almost like, I don't know, as you were talking, the image that came to my mind was the first time like we ever did a mock therapy session, you know? And those first initial, like I remember my first initial one, I was at a university counseling center and you know, they had like a student volunteer come in and it was like only like a 15 minute like little thing, right? And I was so nervous to try to figure out like, what do 
I ask, how do I keep this conversation going? But then you do that one and then you do another one. And, and for the first, I mean, for me, for months, 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 it still felt like a lot of like learning curve, you know, and, and figuring this out. But eventually, like over time, you, you're right. Like you get some sort of structure, you get, you get more confidence in what you need to do in that day to day or that week to week. I love that word confidence. So much of not surviving and thriving comes from the confidence of, you know, showing up to a session with a client, being confident that no matter what they present with in that moment, you're going to be able to handle it. And like you said, that first mock session or even, you know, your first real session when you don't have that confidence, and I don't think anybody expects you to, you can kind of fake it to some extent. When that real confidence kicks in, it takes away a real burden. Mm-hmm. And you can put that energy in other places as far as you know, administration or marketing or what have you, whatever you need to do to continue to build your practice. So I think that's a key in the initial stages of you know, quote unquote survival is gaining confidence in your clinical ability because that's going to go a long way to allowing you to move your energy into other places without losing any of your clinical acumen. Yeah, it's an interesting, I think this whole private practice journey, it's an interesting like journey in that you're simultaneously, you know, like for example, with a traditional employer, you may be focused a lot more on the clinical skills, right? But now you're sort of simultaneously developing the clinical skills and honing that in while developing the business know-how, right? Correct. Which Which is an interesting, I don't know, for me, it's an interesting journey in itself. So I was lucky in that my supervisor, when I was getting my hours so I could become licensed, was really focused on making sure that we were not just great clinicians, but that we were also decent administrators. I think a lot of us resented that. I don't think a lot of us really enjoyed right? Having to do, you know, utilization reviews and, you know, talk to people at insurance companies or do those administrative type things. Yet when I began my practice and now even more so in my group practice, that stuff's invaluable. I was so lucky to have already learned a bunch of that stuff and not have to grind to learn it all while I was still, you know, basically a new clinician. Right. You said earlier that you know, when you were thinking about distinguishing surviving versus thriving, you said actually the learning curve was steeper for the solo practice, right? But it was like... Correct. So tell me more about that. Like, I could I could see where you're going with it, but I, I yeah, I'm just curious about that. So I'm reverse everything, right? And I'm basically patient number one, right? I build my practice based on me, who I am, what my specialty is, what I'm good at, when I want to see clients, when I, what insurances do I want to take? What insurances do I not want to take? How many private pay clients do I want to see? And then also learning how to schedule, learning a electronic uh, medical record program from the inside out, and then learning how to market yourself. And how do I make connections with clinics other than the one I worked at? So all of that required not just you know, dogged determination, but it also required learning. And I think it was, you know, after I did it one or two times, it was pretty ingrained. And I was able to take a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of that 
and then translate it pretty quickly into hiring other clinicians and getting them up and running. The getting them up and running process is very, very similar to the getting myself up and running process. Mm-hmm. So that learning curve of me being a solo practitioner versus hiring somebody really is based on that element of when you get somebody up and running, it becomes easier to get the next person up and running and so on and so forth. So now when I hire somebody, that process seems pretty simple to me. And if I asked the clinician to do it, they would be like I was when I first started. Yeah. It's almost like you have a foundation in place and then you're sharing that foundation with them so that they themselves could do it as well. Exactly. You know, why join a small group practice? Why give somebody a percentage of your money that you could be making? Well, this is why, because we offer something that might be daunting to the clinician. Some clinicians, that's what they want to do. They just want to see clients and not have to deal with this administrative stuff. So my view is we kind of, as you know, small group practice owners, we, we facilitate that for people. I'm guessing that most other small group practice owners do something very similar. They find that they're successful doing it themselves and they say, hey, maybe I could help somebody else do this. And as long as you can, you know, shift the volume, right? Because that's basically what you're talking about is going from just me doing my solo practice to more clients, more clinicians, more offices. You know, if you can scale it up, then the learning curve is less steep than when you're doing it on your own, I feel like. Ah, I see. Okay. That makes a lot of sense because just the repetition aspect of it as well. Exactly. So just shifting a little bit, I wanted to focus quite a bit on just surviving the day-to-day private practice. And I felt like you were such a good person to talk about. So the question that I, I wanted to start off with is a lot of times we talk about the potential success or the potential success of private practice, but not enough about sort of that day-to-day grind, right? The the quiet moments where a client no shows or you're worried if, you know, you have a high case, you have a high enough case load to pay the bills, right? How have you sort of handled those quieter moments? This is a really good question because I was speaking with my supervisor about it yesterday, as a matter of fact. And one of the things that has helped me tremendously is to try and I call it staying in the middle channel. I never want to I never want to go too far in either direction. So if something really great happens in my practice, I don't want to get too excited about it. I want to give it its due. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, being grateful for it and experiencing the proper amount of excitement, but not to get overly excited. And then on the other side, that when something difficult happens or something, I'll even go this far as to say negative happens, it's not getting too low about it. It's really trying to stay in that middle channel. And I think I'm a big sports fan. When I watch elite special athletes, they do the same thing. And great coaches, they do the same thing. You know, until they basically win the championship, you never really see them over the top excited, over the top down. And if they are, so sometimes you are going to end up in one of those extreme postures, don't let it last too long, right? Find ways to get yourself out of that, even if it's back to baseline. Like you said, I mean, I've had days full of no-shows and that feels pretty awful. Yet 
when you look at it in a longer horizon and timeline, you need to recognize that the people that we're working with oftentimes are very ill and they're going to miss appointments for hundreds of different reasons. And so depersonalizing it, it's not about me, it's about the client and what they're struggling with. So even little things like that to remind yourself that, hey, this is a difficult business to be in by the very nature of who we're helping. That's part of it. That that is a essential part of it. So it's really that trying to stay in the middle. And I got to say, I sound really, oh, you know, this is not that. It's hard. Okay. (laughs) It's really hard. And that's why I was talking to my supervisor about it yesterday. I said, hey, I think I've kind of got this down where when I let's say, well, let's do something simple that people in solo practice can, um, can understand as well. You have a client doing really, really well. They're months and months. They haven't had, you know, any relapses and whatever disorder they're dealing with. And, you know, one day they come in and they've really relapsed hard. We can take that very personally as a therapist. And I found it hard not to in some ways, because this is my job. And, Sometimes it's that feeling of um, maybe I'm not doing my job very well. If we looked at everything that way, we'd burn out pretty quick and we wouldn't be very good at our jobs. I think what I've been able to do and what I've seen my contractors able to do and, and, and colleagues and friends is to really put, like I was saying before, putting that in its proper context and perspective of sometimes just saying, and I had a great colleague, Annie Keating. And she said to me, we were in the same office, we shared an office, she had way more experience than me. And she just turned around in her swivel desk chair and looked me straight in the eye and said, our job is really, really hard. Mm. You know, and just having her say that was so validating. And I think we need to say that to ourselves every once in a while. Hey, this job is really, really hard. And maybe that helps to bring us back to the middle and not kind of forget that what we're doing requires some special skills, really requires a special type of person to do it. And so give yourself that credit that you're still that person. So that's just one small example of trying to stay in that, in that channel. I love the phrase, the middle channel. So I think you know this, like I'm a sport, huge sports fan as well. So I'm like recently have been reading my Shashevsky's, which is uh, his book. So that's Duke's basketball, uh, men's basketball coach. And in that book, he talked about, do you remember that Christian Leitner shot, right? Of course, of course. There was a 30 and 30 on ESPN. It's great if anybody wants to see it. (laughs) So this, he was talking about that shot and how, you know, the, the huddle before that shot happened. So, I mean, for those of you guys that are, may not know, essentially, you know, time was running out and Grand Hill had to throw the ball across the entire length of the court. Christian Leitner caught it on the free throw line at the opposite end, turned around and hit the shot as time expired, right? So he was talking about just the amount of stress that in the huddle and what he basically said in that moment was just focus on the present, right? Like stay in that middle channel, as you're saying. And it is interesting how, you know, for us, I think, I don't know, this is at least for me, I can only speak to myself, but the ability to be empathic and the ability to be compassionate is sort of a double-edged sword for me because I think it's given me skills to be a, like hopefully a good clinician. But on the other hand, it's really tough not to personalize, you know, when something doesn't go the way that you anticipated, right? And I love the thought of that stay in the middle channel because then it becomes less about 
me and my competence. And I love the thought that you said about this is really hard, you know? And one of the things that I find myself doing is I'll take like over responsibility for, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. All of that was just super helpful. And that again, I, you know, I'm a mindfulness guy. So that idea of staying in the present moment, that idea of the middle channel is all things are, are all things that I am teaching my clients. And so it's, really neat to be able to, in my work, be teaching people something. And then in my personal life and as a businessman, using those same principles. So a lot of times too, somebody was just, I think it was one of my my contractors was speaking to me about having the, um, what's it called? Imposter syndrome, Mm, right? Where we, we feel like that we hold a lot of importance in people's lives, that we have a lot of relevance in people's lives. And and sometimes we're like, who am I to tell anybody anything, right? Like my life sometimes is a hot mess. And how is it that I can come in here and tell other people that it's going to be okay, make recommendations for what they might want to try to do to resolve it. So that's another one where that can pull you out of that middle channel very quickly. And I was even talking to my wife, who's a doctor about it. And her one time just telling me she didn't know what it was called, but she described it to me very well. And again, this brings us right back to that word that we used, confidence. Once you start to be very confident in what you're doing, that starts to fade. That feeling of I'm an imposter or, you know, who am I to do what I'm doing starts to disintegrate because you have an intrinsic or internal confidence that no matter what, I'm going to do my job the best I can. And I know if I do that, everything will kind of be okay. That's such a good way to do it. Chris, I wanted to wrap up with just a simple kind of question, which is if you could share kind of the top three tips about not just surviving, but really enjoying the day-to-day grind of private practice, what would those be? So I I try to, I I want to be cute here, but not really, because I want to make one and three the same. Okay. Um, But I'll try and make a little variation here. Number one, take care of yourself. We can also call that self-care. Okay. I want you all out there to be taking care of yourselves the best possible. You take care of yourself. You engage in helpful self-care activities. You will find yourself in that middle channel. It will help you to stay in that middle channel and it will reduce the vulnerabilities of feeling like an imposter. It'll reduce the vulnerabilities of burnout and feeling like you don't have any more to give to the people sitting across from you in the office. So that'd be number one is is really engage in self-care. Number two, consult with your colleagues, get supervision. I love your podcast. I think podcasts are a great way to get a lot of general information about things that you want to know about and can be extremely helpful. And I also want to say, don't be afraid to go out and put some money in someone's hands to help you. That was the first thing I did when I started my solo practice before I even started it. I called somebody and I said, hey, you think you could help me? I heard you do this. And he said, that's exactly what I do. What do you want help with? And that's why I spoke with yesterday. So I've been speaking to this person now weekly, you know, it's not so much weekly now, it's a little less now that I'm more in the groove, but this person has helped me tremendously. And at first it is when you're paying somebody who has been doing it for a while, it's expensive. It really is. But look at it as an investment in yourself 
and an investment in keeping you in that middle channel. Because if you have someone that's already been doing it for years and doing it well, they're going to be such an, an excellent guide. And he's even helped me at points with, you know, personal things and even clinical things. So somebody like that becomes, again, an invaluable asset to helping you with the day-to-day. Because although I only speak to him every three weeks now, if I have a quick question for him or I'm just running into difficulty, he's always there for me. And so to be cute, number three is, hey, take care of yourself, people, okay? That I just can't overstate. But here's a couple ways that I would say are pretty standard in our business ways of taking care of yourself. One is talk to colleagues, make sure you're getting a lot of feedback because they'll say, hey, yeah, it is hard. Yeah, hey, I'm dealing with the same stuff. They'll validate for you that it's difficult and that it's something that you really need to work at. I also, I'm a mindfulness guy, so I'm a meditator. You don't have to meditate, but find something that allows you to connect in the moment because it's really important to be able to come back to the present moment when things feel like they're winding out of control. So I would just say find a mindfulness practice. If it involves formal meditation, yay. If it doesn't, that's fine too. We can be more mindful through informal practices. And, you know, don't be afraid to lean on the people around you. Not all the time, right? My wife would probably have left me by now. We've been together over 20 years, right? She'd probably have left me by now if I kept leaning on her solely. So that's why I have other people in my life to discuss this stuff with. But, you know, it's still so helpful to talk to my wife about these things, talk to my brother about these things, even my dad, who knows nothing of psychology or master's degrees or anything like he was in construction, right? So he's a businessman. So a lot of times we're just talking business. So, but allow the people in your life in don't overburden them with it, but allow them in so that they can be helpful as well. Those are just three small ways that I try to stay in that middle channel. Chris, this is so good. And I think for me, the one of the biggest things that I'm taking away is that, you know, we're not meant, even though, you know, we call these things like, for example, solo practices, or even as a group private practice owner, I think that brings its own challenges, right? The manage moving from a solo to a, so almost like a CEO role, right? But I think one of the biggest things I'm taking away from this is that we're not really meant to do this alone and that we do things way better when we have community. Totally agree. And a lot of the people that I'm hiring that's one of their that's one of their main complaints is that they don't get enough interaction with their colleagues. Mm-hmm. So Griffin Counseling Services, one of the things we strive to do is make sure that there's a lot of communication between the clinicians and kind of a spirit of team going on. That's awesome. Uh, Chris, I am just so grateful for you. Thank you again for doing this. Uh, where can we learn more about you and, uh, and about Griffin Counseling and some of the awesome stuff you're doing in the world? Sure. Thanks. Again, I'm just so happy to be on your podcast. So if anybody wants to check out what we're up to, it's griffincounselingct.com. If you're looking for help in any way, shape, or form, we are in the greater Hartford area. And We're pretty much local uh, to that area with our counseling services. If you are looking for help with consulting or starting a group practice, you can always contact myself, uh, contact at griffincounselingct.com or the phone number 860-709-0697. And I also have a podcast. It's in a little hiatus right now. I'm going to be getting back to it soon, but it's called Mindful Matters with Chris Griffin LPC. And you can find that at all the major 
podcast outlets, including iTunes. Perfect. Chris, I'll definitely put that in the show notes, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 197. Chris, thanks again for doing this. Thank you so much, Melvin, and have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris. And I think more than anything, I hope that today's podcast session has been a source of encouragement for you, especially if you have often felt like man, I'm really struggling with this day-to-day of being a business owner and being a private practitioner. And I just wonder if other people struggle as well. I hope that today's episode has just been, if anything, it has answered that question of, I think nearly all of us struggle and maybe we don't have enough conversations about that. And yeah, I hope that it's just been a source of encouragement for you. Just side note, you know, I know that the isolation that many of us feel that's something that's very real in private practice. And that's one of the main reasons I created the the Selling the Couch community on Facebook. It's absolutely free to join. Uh, you can join over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. And it's just a great way for us to be able to connect with one another and support one another. Show notes to today's episode can be found over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 197. As I was reflecting on this episode, I was just thinking about that phrase that Chris said, you know, stay in the middle channel. The way that I have often said to myself is don't get too high with the highs and don't get too low with the lows. And uh, at first, you know, I when someone first told me that, you know, don't get too high with the highs, I was like, what? You know, we should be celebrating the good moments. And for me, it's a reminder that we should definitely celebrate and appreciate when we have good moments as a business owner but we shouldn't put all of our sort of worth on those high moments and on those low moments. Because at least for me, what often happens is when I do that is it ends up being this almost emotional roller coaster and it's it's sometimes hard to get off. Again, Chris's website, and you can learn more about the services that they're providing is over at griffincounselingct.com. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met. And you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Turning Point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get $200 off any any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.